When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him, love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's probably clear I uh, really value the place of stories in, um, uh, in any kind of ministry, really, but we've particularly discovered its power in our ministry. Power to share the truth and to get under people's defences. You know, when you're listening to a story, you kind of, you start to participate in the story even if you don't yet believe what's going on. And stories stick in people's minds as well, and they keep working over time. You know, the Bible is just full of stories, isn't it? Sort of stories within stories. And they all add up to one big story of how God deals with sinful people and saves them. And as I've told more stories uh, over the years, um, I think something I've seen happening to me more and more is those stories going to work on me. This story from Luke 7 has had a big impact on me. It's still kind of unwinding, so you're catching me sort of in the middle of it. But it's uh, really affected me, particularly this year, even though I've been telling this story for several years. I guess as you tell stories, you sort of listen to them again, and they have a chance to keep working on you as well as your audience. So let's have a look at this story from Luke 7. Jesus is invited to this Pharisee's house for dinner. And if you know anything about the Gospels, you know that the Pharisees are the bad guys. They're powerful, they're religious, they're usually wealthy, uh, and they're characterised in the Gospels as hypocrites and schemers 
They're constantly in conflict with Jesus, so he doesn't often get invited to their homes for a meal. But in this case, he is, and he goes to this Pharisee's house. And we're told they were reclining at the table. So if you can imagine, they've got a low table and then mats or couches around it. And these men are probably resting on their left arms uh, on their sides so that they can then eat from the table with their right hands. And we're told that there was a woman who'd lived a sinful life. And when she heard that Jesus was in the town and had been invited to this Pharisee's house, she went to him. She's, she's probably a prostitute, almost certainly, and the perfume that she's carrying is probably a tool of her trade. And she does the most extraordinary thing. She goes to this Pharisee's house she goes straight in and directly to Jesus. She's only got eyes for him. She falls down at his feet, kind of behind him, if you can imagine where he's reclining on his side, and she starts crying, and then she wets his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair and kisses them and pours perfume on them. Now, the Pharisees, of course, would never allow a woman like that to touch them. They wouldn't probably have looked at a woman like that. You know, if you imagine someone, maybe there's a homeless, uh, someone who seems a little bit crazy, saying something a bit strange, and, and someone else just ignores them, eyes straight ahead, continues on, doesn't make eye contact. Of course, for the Pharisees, she's not just embarrassing this woman, she's a wretchedly unclean person. They want nothing to do with her. And so the Pharisee, the host, he thinks if Jesus was a prophet, then he'd know who this woman was and he'd step away from her or maybe even just tell her to get out. Jesus knows what the host is thinking, this Pharisee, and he turns to him and we discover his name. His name's Simon. And Simon assumes Jesus isn't a prophet because he doesn't seem to know who this woman is. But as we keep reading the story, we discover Jesus knows exactly who this woman is. And he knows who Simon is as well. And he tells Simon a story. Jesus, great, you know, great uh, fan of stories in ministry. He says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. It's something like, one owed a year's wages and the other owed a month's wages, something like that, okay? Neither of them could pay. And so the moneylender forgave the debt of both. Then Jesus says to Simon, which one will love him more? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, yep, that's it. And then Jesus directs Simon, Simon's attention to the woman. And he says, do you see her? When I came into the house, Simon, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet, which you should have. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. That was the normal way of greeting an honoured guest. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't give me oil 
for my hair to kind of help me freshen up, but this woman has poured perfume on my feet. I was telling this, I told this story to a Muslim guy once in his home, and when I got to this bit where Jesus kind of shames Simon for not doing all the right things, this guy jumps up and he grabs this bottle of diluted perfume or something off the shelf, and he goes, sorry, sorry, and he starts pouring it all over my hands, and I'm like, do I? And then he said, I'm so sorry, my mother, God rest her soul, would never have forgotten to do that. Very sweet, actually, like a lovely kind of thing. You come into someone's home and they want to bless you and make you smell nice and make you feel welcome. That's actually my experience of Muslim people in general, and he was no different. The point is, this woman did all the things you should have done, Simon. Actually, she did them better. More care, more attention, more generous, even though she'd lived a sinful life. And Jesus says, so I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus looks at the woman and he speaks to her for the first time and he says, your sins are forgiven. Imagine hearing that from Jesus. Imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, your sins are however many there are, however great they are, they're forgiven. The other guests, they're all respectable, well-educated people and they start thinking to themselves, who is this who forgives sins? Jesus ignores them and he speaks to the woman again and he says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Imagine the peace that that woman has at that point. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, now you can go in peace. No more fear, no more guilt, no more shame. Peace. What joy in that. And if that woman can have her sins forgiven and experience peace, then any of us can. I love this because it's such a clear explanation of the gospel, isn't it? It's exactly what I want people to hear and understand if I'm sharing something with them. There's two people in this little situation, one a sinner, one who's religious, one who's committed many sins, one who, he probably knows he's a sinner, Simon, but he's a God-fearer and he's an upright man. And Jesus tells that story and puts himself in the position of the moneylender with the woman as the person who owes 500 denarii and the Pharisee, Simon, who owes 50. And you could think, I guess, as you heard that little story within the story from Jesus, that what he's saying is the Pharisee has less need of forgiveness because he sinned less. I mean, you know, let's not sugarcoat anything, this woman is described as having lived a sinful life. Whatever her vulnerabilities, whatever the difficulties of her life, she has disobeyed Almighty God. That's important in the story, isn't it? But I think in the logic of the story Jesus tells, they're not actually that different in the end. Notice that they share the most important thing in common. 
Both have debts, one big and one small, but neither could pay. Both fall short. Sometimes I meet uh, Muslim people with just chaos in their lives. One guy that I'm uh, trying to walk alongside a little bit at the moment has uh, some serious problems with domestic violence in his household and he's facing criminal charges. Uh, He's lost access to his kids. He feels like the whole community has turned against him. Maybe they have, I'm not sure. He certainly thinks that they have. Um, Another guy that I know is a religious leader. So he's a leader in one of the local mosques and uh, he uh, is learned and respected uh, and, you know, he dresses as a, a local leader in the community. I saw him a couple of weeks ago and he had this group of men, <clears throat> excuse me, he had this group of, uh, of other men behind him. They all had kind of matching beards. They're all very pious together. He's a very sweet guy, actually. We have great conversations. He's a really good listener. You think about those two different men, so different in some ways, but Jesus' point in this little story is neither can pay. Through him, though, forgiveness is available and therefore peace, just like the woman's discovered. Peace with God and peace in her heart. But I think there's actually more going on in this story than just that. Jesus talks about a connection between how much someone's forgiven and their love. I've told this story a bunch of times. I really love it. And as I've told it more, I've started to think about it more and to realise some things that I didn't see at first. I think that's the effect of stories. You know, they kind of have layers and you can go deeper and deeper and deeper, at least stories in the scriptures. Or maybe the layers are in me and the stories are kind of peeling back my layers. I don't know. Think about the woman for a sec. This woman is just overcome by Jesus, isn't she? She's totally focused on him. She's devoted to him. She's moved by him. And I've realised as I've thought about this story that she's actually doing something truly righteous when she comes to Jesus in this way. If you know anything about the Torah, the law of Moses, the greatest command in the whole of the law of God revealed through Moses is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Love. Love God. And she's doing it, isn't she? She comes and gives her whole self. She loves God in the person of Jesus Christ with her whole self in a way that Simon, the law-keeping Pharisee, isn't. I think it's amazing. Why does she do that? Why does she love God in that way, in Christ. I don't think it's because she read it in the law and decided that she really ought to do it, right? She can't help herself. It's because she's received the love of Jesus so deeply that she's been transformed. And now she just comes to him and just pours it all out. She's crying her eyes out in front of him, holding nothing back. 
She's received his love and now she loves him. All right, think about Simon. Pharisee, bad guy. Well, I used to... I'm so used to thinking about the Pharisees as bad guys that as soon as one pops up in a story, I'm like, bad guy. But now I'm not so sure, at least about Simon. I started to notice things that make him not appear quite the opponent of Jesus as I first thought. So, for example, he invites Jesus to his home to eat. That's unusual. It happens one other time in the Gospels, where Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee. So it's unusual. Second thing, he's named. The Pharisee who invites Jesus to his home the other time, we don't get his name, but we get Simon's name. And you know what else? There's only one other Pharisee in the Gospels whose name we get, who's a character. That's Nicodemus, who becomes a believer, a follower of Christ. And thirdly, the third thing that makes me think Simon is not quite the opponent that I thought he was, is just the way Jesus tells that little parable. So he says there were two men who owed money, representing, of course, the sinful woman and Simon, and both have their debts forgiven. So Jesus could have said there were two men who owed money, one who had a great big debt, and the other one had a small debt, and Jesus forgave this one, sorry, the moneylender forgave this one, uh, but this one he sent off to prison because he couldn't pay his debt. But that's not the story he tells, is it? They both have their debts forgiven. Jesus says neither could pay. They both had their debts forgiven. So what's his point? His point is about love. It's not the difference between someone who's saved and someone who's not saved. It's the difference between one person who's completely transformed by meeting Jesus and receiving his love and someone else who is much more cool towards Jesus. Jesus says... I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But for whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. This is the big difference between the two of them. It's not that this woman who's lived a sinful life needs salvation more than Simon. It's that she realises her need in a much deeper way than Simon. She understands who Jesus is. She understands who she is. She understands that he loves her anyway. And she receives that love and now she can't help herself. She just pours out love at Jesus. I wonder if you've ever been jealous of someone else's dramatic testimony of coming to faith in Jesus. Maybe you have a really dramatic testimony of coming to faith in Jesus. Praise the Lord. I'd love to hear it. I may be slightly jealous. You know, you hear those testimonies where people say, you know, I stole my first car when I was 10, and then at age 12 I was, like, running guns, set up this international kind of criminal organisation. That's where I got all these cool tattoos. 
you know. And then there was a huge, like, police investigation, federal level, big busts everywhere. I got picked up. I went to prison for 10 years. But I was empty inside. Jesus found me. And uh, since I got out, I started a prison ministry. And it's in 150 prisons around the world. Right? That's not my testimony, by the way. So I grew up uh, not very far from here on the North Shore uh, and come from a stable home, praise God, and my mother became a believer when I was a toddler and she prayed for me and she took me to Sunday school and youth group and I heard the gospel and I realised that I needed to be forgiven. I believed the gospel and I left school and I started reading the Bible a bit more when I went to uni and I grew in my faith, sometimes faster, most of the time slower, but, you know, growing slowly, still growing. I knew that my sins were forgiven. I know, they're forgiven. But I don't behave like this woman. In fact... To my shame, I think I'm a lot more like Simon. Cool, detached, not going overboard, not risking being embarrassed, embarrassing myself, um, weak in my love, I think, for Jesus. I can imagine Jesus coming to my house. This is a really scary thought, but I can imagine Jesus coming to my house and the whole thing just being very polite. It horrifies me, actually. I've realised maybe that's the point of the whole story. We don't know the woman's name. I mean, she's actually my hero. I think she's one of the greatest heroes in the Bible. But we don't know her name. We know Simon's name. And Simon's the one that Jesus tells the story to. Because he's telling a story to us. So maybe it's because there's a risk, at least for some of us, that we'll be more like Simon than we'd really care to admit. Not really like the woman who just lets it all out for Jesus. Why is that? I believe. Don't you believe the gospel and follow the Lord Jesus Christ? We've welcomed Jesus into our lives. But perhaps we haven't yet really realised or deeply internalised or completely understood or really felt in our guts the two things that this woman has. I think she gets it. And here are the two things. Each of us is in a desperate state of sin before God. That's the first one. And the second one is that God is loving beyond our imagination. You might hear that and think, well, that's just the gospel. (laughs) It's just the gospel, isn't it? I've been a Christian about 30 years. I'm a bit of a slow learner, but I think... I'm starting to believe there's actually nothing else that really matters except those two things. What every person in the world needs to hear and believe 
is those two truths, that we are in great need of forgiveness from God and that he offers it freely out of love. That's why in the Apostle Paul's letters, when he's speaking to churches and he tells them about his prayers for them, he almost always says the same thing in a variety of different incredible ways. The basic message is, I want you to really go deeper and deeper into the gospel and really get it and really have power from God, he says. You're going to need power to understand how great God's love really is because that's going to change you. I know the gospel, but I still feel like I'm very much dependent on the Spirit to keep pushing that truth way down into my heart. I'm still sometimes a bit unmoved, welcoming Jesus in a way that's very cool and polite and careful and shallow. So I ask myself, what is going to help me tell people joyfully and easily that I'm a follower of Jesus? What's going to free me from any embarrassment about him in any situation? What's going to move me to share my faith? Someone asked me recently, you know, evangelists are a bit crazy. You know, I've got this book on my shelf called like Dealing with Evangelists or something, and it's got this (laughs) dorky-looking guy. You think, yeah, he's an evangelist. I've met this evangelist recently, and uh, she's just classic, you know, Um, like tough background, and she just, she'll just see someone and go up and kind of love them and tell them the gospel. And then she said to me, there's a drug house in our street, Ben, and I just want to bake them a cake and go and tell them about Jesus. <laughs> She's not kidding. Anyway, she said to me, are you, are you an evangelist? Like, do you feel like you're an evangelist, Ben? And I said, well, not by personality, um, but kind of more and more by the love of God that's growing inside me. What's going to help me to love other people when I don't feel loved back? What's going to help me to make godly decisions in my life? What's going to help me to resist sin? I think it's exactly what this woman realised, super deep, that God loves me and I need him to love me. And he does. And to receive that love way down inside me and then to just let it pour out. Obviously, I believe telling Bible stories is powerful. Um, Sometimes it's unexpectedly powerful, and this story has hit me in a way that I didn't expect. You know, when I first started telling this story to Muslim people, uh, my hope was that they would have the same reaction as the woman and be transformed by meeting Jesus. And I still hope that. But now I hope something else as well. I hope that God will change me And transform me to be like that woman. Let me say a prayer. Great Father, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And we need your help, Father, to love you more deeply and with more affection and with more focus so that we don't hold anything back 
but are able to give our whole selves to you. Father, please move in each one of us here tonight to transform us even more than you already have and make us like that woman who poured everything out at the feet of Jesus. We pray that you will not allow anything to stand in the way of that and we entrust ourselves to you in Jesus' name.